With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Hello, and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we will talk about the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm Clinton Wilcox, your host, and I am joined by my co-host, Aaron Brake. How are you doing, Aaron? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's great to have you here. Now, we are advocates and voices for the unborn with Life Training Institute, whose mission is to equip pro-life advocates to graciously and persuasively defend their pro-life views in the marketplace of ideas and in our culture. We believe in the radical idea that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings, whether born or unborn, and we're here to equip you to defend that idea in a culture that celebrates a woman's right to choose. Now, before we begin the episode proper, I'd like to just discuss a couple of things. First of all is we are now on iTunes. So I've got everything squared away with iTunes and our podcast is now there. So you can find us at the podcast uh, app on your smartphone or on your computer by going to itunes.apple.com and you can search for our podcast, Pro-Life Thinking. Second is that just a couple of days ago, I interviewed Stephanie Gray on this podcast. Now, Stephanie is uh, is a great defender of the pro-life view. Uh, She's not just smart and defends it intellectually, but she also talks about interacting with abortion choice advocates and kind of meeting them where where they are and talking to them on a human level. And so listening to her is definitely beneficial as far as not just what to say when certain objections are raised, but also in how to be more persuasive as a pro-life advocate. So I would encourage you to go and listen to my interview with her. You can find that on iTunes or here on Blog Talk Radio. Now, today we're going to be talking about the substance view of persons. Last week, Patty Smith of the Silent No More Awareness campaign joined us, and we talked about how to find healing after an abortion. Today, we're going to be returning to the philosophical arguments for the pro-life position. On a previous episode, we talked about the SLED test developed by Stephen Schwartz, and the SLED test essentially states that Differences in size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency do not justify being able to kill the unborn. And so there's no essential difference between the the embryo that we once were and the adult we are today that would justify killing it at that earlier point. Now, the sled test is a negative argument, not a positive one. And what that means is that it doesn't make the case for the pro-life position, but it responds to objections or responds to arguments brought up by abortion choice advocates. 
And so when they say the unborn isn't a person because it's not aware or conscious or anything like that, we can use the sled argument to show that these differences do not justify being able to kill the unborn embryo. The substance view, on the other hand, makes a positive argument for the pro-life position. It makes the argument that abortion is wrong because the unborn are persons, and the, the unborn are persons because they're substances, essentially. And we'll talk more about these differences as we progress. So we're going to start off by talking about the differences between a heap, an artifact, and a substance, and then we're going to talk a little bit about natures and capacities. So before Clinton gets into that, just by way of a quick introduction, what do we mean by the substance view that we'll be defending today? The substance view teaches that a human being is intrinsically valuable rather than instrumentally valuable. In other words, human beings are valuable simply in light of being what they are, a human being. They are not valuable based on some sort of function they perform or a particular property they may acquire during the course of their development. We know what the unborn is from the time it comes into existence. And so as the unborn grows and matures, he or she is developing according to the human nature they possess. In other words, the unborn exists as a human being with a human nature first. It doesn't somehow later become one. So let's start out by talking about what what a heap is. A heap is basically just a pile of stuff, like a, a pile of salt or a hunk of, of uh, scrap metal. A heap has the weakest kind of unity that you find in nature. The parts of a heap are only related insofar as each part is spatially located near each other. So there's no kind of internal unity keeping a, a heap together. A, a heap is just a, a collection of things that, that are just located near each other in one big pile. So there's no real unity to them. Now a heap can either be homogeneous, meaning that all of the parts are the same, or heterogeneous, meaning that all of the parts are different. So a pile of salt would be an example of a homogeneous heap, and a hunk of scrap metal would be an example of a heterogeneous heap. Now we can talk about what an artifact is. An artifact is an artificially constructed thing, like a clock or a car. An artifact has a stronger unity than a heap, whereas a heap, the unity of a heap is only, is only regarding the spatial relation of its parts. An artifact has a sort of mechanical unity that all of its parts are working together to be able to make the whole function as. So, in that case, we can say that the parts then are ontologically prior to the whole. And what that means, that's just a kind of a $5 uh, phrase, meaning that, number one, the parts exist before the whole does, but it also means that the parts have priority to the whole. In other words, the uh, it's not that the, the parts are determined by the nature of the whole, uh, it's actually that the whole, for example, the car, is determined by what the parts constructed in order to do. So cars don't occur in nature. Cars are things that are con that are artificially constructed. And so the parts then determine what the nature of the car can do because the parts go into constructing the car to be able to perform a certain function. And so artifacts, in, in order to construct a heap into an artifact, also requires an outside builder. The heap is not going to turn the artifact into what it is. It requires something outside itself to make it that. And now another another difference or another thing that we can talk about regarding artifacts is that if any of the artifacts parts are changed out it becomes a completely different thing than it was before its identity is not preserved through time now we can see this when we talk about for example a broom uh, 
If you were to change the broom's wooden handle and make it a a metal handle, say a handle made of steel, it would not, strictly speaking, be the same part that it was before. Now, it's the same thing if you were to swap, say, the wooden handle with another wooden handle. It still would not be the same thing. But it can be seen a little bit more clearly when we talk about swapping over something made of a different material than it was before. In fact, this is also why if um, if you swap out, say, if you have an old Ferrari and you swap out just the hood ornament, the, uh, the, the car itself loses value because it's not the original car that you had before because the hood ornament is different. So we can see this by using an illustration that I heard from Jay Warner Wallace, who's a, a, a retired cold case detective. And he talks about, suppose I have a brand new Ferrari out in front of my yard. And my neighbor has kind of an old dilapidated Ferrari. Now, unbeknownst to me, every night my neighbor who wants my brand new Ferrari and doesn't just want to steal it outright because he's afraid I'll notice, sneaks into my yard and starts replacing my car, parts of my car with parts of his very slowly so that I don't notice because he's doing it gradually over time. Now, a few weeks pass, and suddenly in my yard is an old dilapidated Ferrari, and in my neighbor's yard is a brand new Ferrari. So the question is, which car is my car? Well, if car if artifacts retain strict identity over time, then you would have to say that the old dilapidated car in my yard would be my car. But that that doesn't make any sense to say that, though. It's it's not the same car because it, it because none of the parts are the same, and so now you might think, well, okay, so maybe it's that maybe my car then is the one that's in my neighbor's yard because the one in my neighbor's yard is made up of all of the parts that were that my car was made of, and I think that's closer to the truth. But I think that what actually happens is that when you deconstruct my car, it actually goes out of existence and when you construct it in my neighbor's yard, you're you're basically constructing a brand new car. Uh, even though it's made of all of the original parts, it's since it since uh, artifacts don't retain their identity through time, then it, then the identity is not actually retained when you dismantle it and then and then remake it in my neighbor's yard. So what actually happens is that it goes out of existence, and then a brand new car made with with all of the original parts of my car is made in my neighbor's yard. So that's an artifact then, and a substance is basically the opposite of an artifact. Now, substance is not synonymous with thing. We're not dehumanizing, for example, human beings when we call them substances. A substance is essentially just an entity that maintains its identity through change. So um, a substance has the strongest unity of all in that uh, there's an internal sort of unity that grounds my identity and maintains it through all of the changes that I undergo. So, for example, when I was an embryo, I went through all these changes. I got bigger, uh, I got more intelligent, I developed parts like my arms and legs, but through all of these, my internal unity kept my identity the same. So, contra an artifact, a substance, the whole is ontologically prior to its parts. So, whereas an artifact's parts exist before the artifact does, and its parts determine the nature of the whole, it's the opposite with a substance, that a substance exists before all of its parts develop, and it's the whole of the substance, the substance's nature, that determines the parts that it will develop. Human beings are rational animals, and so because we're rational animals, we develop all of the things that rational animals develop, such as a brain that can become rational and conscious and all of these kinds of things. So a substance then, also contrary to an artifact, retains its identity through change. Any change that doesn't kill the substance retains its identity, especially changes that are within its internal programming to undergo. 
So as Clinton explained, unlike a heap or an artifact, a, a human being is a particular type of substance, what some philosophers would call a rational animal or a rational moral agent that comes into being all at once and maintains its identity over time, even though it may gain or lose physical parts throughout the course of its lifetime. And once it comes into existence, a human being remains a human being uh, until their death. So for example, uh, imagine an individual who's involved in a tragic accident and perhaps loses uh, their legs and their arms. They've lost all their limbs. And suppose that you go to visit uh, this individual in the hospital, you would recognize that person as being the same person, even though they have lost uh, limbs. Uh, they haven't become someone else or someone new. They are still the same person. They're, they're, uh, as a substance, they are able to undergo physical change and still retain their identity. Now, as Clinton explained, this is contrasted to with an artifact which is not ontologically prior to its parts. Um, as he said, a car, something like a car or a watch comes into existence piece by piece and is put together externally by an outside agent. So artifacts cannot gain or lose parts and maintain their identity. Uh, the parts are essential to it as a whole so that it literally becomes a different object in the event of change. And the, the fancy term for this is known as mere logical essentialism, and it applies to artifacts but not substances. So now let's turn our attention to the concept of natures and capacities. Now, a nature is the thing that makes a thing what it is and grounds its ultimate capacities. The essence of a thing is what differentiates a thing from other things. So, for example, we can think of squares and triangles. Squares and triangles are both polygons. They're both geometrical shapes. But what differentiates a square from a triangle? Well, what differentiates a square from a triangle is the fact that squares have four equal sides and triangles have three sides. So it could be said that the essence of squarity, the essence of what it means to be a square, is to have four equal sides. And the essence of triangularity, or the essence of what, what it means to be a triangle, is to have three sides. So human beings are animals. We know that because there's a physical component to us, and we develop just like other animals do. And we, we have the capacities that other animals have. We're, we're not simply plants or vegetables because we have capacities that plants and vegetables don't have, such as the ability to move around. So the question then becomes, what kind of animals are we? Well, what differentiates us from lower animals is that we're rational. We have the capacity to understand morality and act accordingly. We are able to to think at a higher level than animals do. And so, so human beings are not just animals. We are rational animals. And that's what the essence of being a human is. So humans are rational animals. And being rational animals, we have a set of capacities that flow from that nature. Now, we have these capacities inherently at the start. And they later develop into first-order capacities, or presently exercisable capacities. So the only reason that a human being is able to develop rationality is because it has the inherent capacity for rationality at the beginning. Human beings never develop the capacity to, or the present capacity, to breathe underwater, because it's not in our nature to breathe underwater. All the same, if a human being fails to develop rationality, we consider that a tragedy because human beings are the kinds of things that are rational, and a human being that doesn't develop rationality is not able to flourish as human beings do. Conversely, a hedgehog, if a hedgehog fails to develop rationality, it's not a tragedy, because it's not in the nature of hedgehogs to be rational. Unless it's Sonic the Hedgehog, he seems pretty rational.
<laughs> right. A Sonic the Hedgehog notwithstanding. Okay, so why is the substance view important to the issue of abortion? It's important to the abortion debate because if the human being is a substance ontologically prior to its parts and coming into existence all at once at conception, then the unborn from conception are valuable human persons, even if they lack the present ability to immediately exercise certain functions or capacities. The unborn from conception possesses the same natural inherent capacities as all other human beings because they possess the same human nature, and it is their human nature which grounds their inherent value. The unborn, then, are never potential persons, but they are always persons with great potential, and they cannot be killed simply because they lack the present ability to perform a certain function. So we've discussed in this episode the difference between a heap, an artifact, and a substance, and then we talked a little bit about nature's incapacities. So now I'd like to thank you all, the audience, for listening, and I'd like to thank Aaron for joining me here. If you appreciated the content of this episode, uh, we feel that the, the, the content is not only interesting, but that it's important for pro-life people to, to know and understand and to, to master in order to respond to a lot of abortion choice concerns and to be able to make an adequate case for the pro-life position. We would just ask that you share this around on social media, rate and review it on our Facebook, pa on our Facebook page, and also now on iTunes because we're up there. Now we have a few upcoming events. I myself am going to be debating whether or not we have a right to die with Matt Dillahunty, an atheist internet personality, on Friday, September 8th at the Bible and Beer Consortium in Dallas, Texas at 6 or 7 in the evening. If you're in the area, come on out. I'd love to see you there. And Aaron has something coming up as well. Yeah, on August 13th, I will be speaking via Skype uh, to the apologet apologetics class Reason Why at Catalina Foothills Church in Arizona. So I'll be giving a presentation on the case for life, followed by a question and answer. And thanks so much to my, my friend Dan Grossenbach for inviting me. I, I also know that Nathan, he's not here, but I know he has a pro-life apologetics course in Poway, California, coming up on July 20th and 27th. So he's going to be doing three separate classes, uh, pro-lifers answer objections persuasively, um, going over the Scott Klusendorf versus uh, Nadine Strawson at Wayne State University debate, answering the tough questions, bodily autonomy, rape, incest, and, and life-threatening pregnancy. Now, this is a weekly podcast, and it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working to kill unborn babies than there are people working to save them. I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. People like you keep me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, you can go to www.prolifetraining.com and click on Donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. And if you'd like to donate to this podcast specifically, you can also indicate that in the notes section. Donations are also tax deductible. Now next week, we're going to begin the first part of our three-part series on hard cases regarding the pro-life position. And so our first part is going to be on fetal deformity. And is abortion justified in cases in which the developing embryo or fetus is severely deformed or disabled? So you won't want to miss that. On behalf of Aaron and myself, we'd like to thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.